you have a copy of God's Word with you today, I'd love for you to turn to the book of Philemon. That's a book right before Hebrews as you're getting toward the end of the New Testament. I'm going to read this whole book uh, for us today. It's only one chapter and 25 verses, so if you've never heard of it before, don't worry. It's not going to be that long, that much reading. Uh, Before I do that, I wanted to mention a couple things to you. Um, One is that uh, Chad and I are leaving this afternoon to go on study leave this week, and we'll be back next Sunday night. And if you are interested in praying for us this week, that would be great. Uh, We're going to try to map out uh, 2024 uh, sermon-wise and Sunday school and all that stuff and and plan. We're also going to try to get some rest in and uh, just do some other readings and praying and that sort of thing. And so we'll be leaving this afternoon. And if you want to pray, that would would be great. Really would appreciate that. These are really special weeks where we can get away and uh, just have some real focused time to, to plan and to pray. And it's... Uh, honestly, it's two of my favorite weeks of the year, and so I thank you for letting me go and do that. Um, but if you would pray for us, I would appreciate that. Secondly, uh, last week I mentioned to you that out of the abundance of caution, uh, the doctors want me to have some follow-up tests regarding some, a couple areas that they want to explore. And I found out this week that the test is going to occur on the 9th of November. So I have a couple more weeks to wait. And so uh, if you want to pray for me during that time, again, I would appreciate that. Pray that my faith would grow. Uh, Pray that uh, my love for God, my Father, would increase. And um, you can even pray that I would um, better articulate my anxiety and uh, somewhat frustration and uh, being overwhelmed. If you would pray that, I'd be great. And I mentioned those things in particular to you because uh, right now the idea of Jesus being in the garden before he goes to the cross is very meaningful. You know that time when he was in agony, where he was sweating like drops of blood? Either he was there in the garden or he wasn't, right? And if he's in the garden, then that means in a much smaller less significant way, I'm in the garden too. And so I want to draw from him. And if you can pray that way, I really would appreciate that. Because he still went to the cross, right? I still have to bear my cross, right? So do we. So if you want to pray in any of those ways, uh, I would appreciate that. And finally, uh, what I want to show you from this passage today, this book of Philemon, is that the four-part story enables us to forgive. So if you're wondering, what are we going to talk about today when we read Philemon? I've never heard that book before. Uh, Then then here's the point. Uh, The four-part story enables us to forgive. And this whole year, if you're brand new with us, we're going through the whole Bible and looking at the Bible as story that has four parts. Creation, rebellion, redemption, and restoration. And what I'm trying to show you is that those four parts enable us to forgive. So that's where we're going. Listen to this. This is the word of God. Uh, How about we call this the postcard of the New Testament? How about that? Really about 340 words. Listen to this. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and 
for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Just so you know, the word Onesimus, the name Onesimus means useless. So Paul's playing on words there and saying, you've thought that he's useless, but I'm telling you that he's useful. Then he goes on, verse 12, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want, to, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your, through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray together. Lord, we are here again, and there are a thousand other things that we could be doing. So thank you for working in our hearts to be here. Thank you for working in us to want to gather together and to sing to you and to listen to you and to hear that you are a forgiving God and to hear that you are a God who blesses. Thank you for working into us the desire to be here. So we ask, Lord, that you would indeed continue to act through your word. Take your word and help us to see that it is true that we can bank our entire life on it. Help us to understand it. Help us to see ourselves in the text. Help us, Holy Spirit, not only to do all those things, but to bring us to Jesus and the good news of the gospel, that we might follow him, be changed, and become more like him, become more like our Savior, Jesus. All these things we pray in his name, amen. So this morning, as I try to show you from this passage that the four-part story enables us to forgive, what we're going to do is retell the story, and then we're going to have three takeaways. So that's where we're going this morning. So let's retell the story and make sure that we understand what we just read together in these short little 25 verses. 
So the letter starts off with this guy named Paul who writes from prison. And did you notice in verse 1 that he writes from prison and he specifically mentions something really, really profound that we might just gloss over. He says he's a prisoner for Christ Jesus. How about that? Paul begins by telling us that even though he is in prison, he is attaching all of his circumstances and everything that he's going through to Jesus himself. So even though the Roman Empire may want to put him in prison for things that we would say is not really violating any kind of laws, he's there. But what he sees when he's there is not a time to get bitter and angry at the powers that be. He actually knows that his God is so much more powerful that he can actually say, I'm in prison, but it's for Jesus. I tell you what, I sure hope that I can see that what I'm going through is for Jesus. I sure hope that I improve in my ability to look at my circumstances and think to myself, Jesus is right here with me. Even if something is unjust like Paul was experiencing, to say, but this is for Jesus. He's the one that's able to do things even where I, even when I'm in prison. Well, Paul writes this letter to this guy named Philemon, and we have Aphia and Archippus, which more than likely are Philemon's wife and son. We don't know for sure, but more than likely he writes to them, and he writes to them this little postcard, about 340 words. And he wants them to consider lots of things, but he wants us to know that he loves Philemon. He appreciates Philemon, and he sees how God has been at work in Philemon's life. It's spelled out in the first few verses. And one description that I didn't want to let slide that highlights what Paul really thinks of Philemon is found in verse 7, where he talks about how Philemon has refreshed, you notice that word there, so many people. Now, Paul is highlighting something very unique about Philemon there. Let me tell you what, that, what word picture that gives us. The idea of a backstop. Any of y'all ever played baseball before? I played baseball growing up. I pitched sometimes, and especially when I was learning how to pitch, you know what? I had a hard time finding home plate. Sometimes I'd hit it in front of home plate. Sometimes I'd hit a batter. Sometimes I'd miss everything and hit the backstop. A backstop is what is there to keep people like me who can't always hit the catcher's mitt who keeps the ball from going a thousand yards away and having to chase it and come back. A backstop is there to help keep things in a reasonable um, manner. So when Paul applies this to Philemon, what he's saying is that Philemon, you have been like a backstop for people. Think about that. Because I wonder if you have anyone in your life who functions like this. Philemon was the kind of guy that people who were all out of sorts frustrated here, angry there, not sure what to do here, and they could come to Philemon and just throw all kinds of stuff at Philemon all over the place, and he functioned like a backstop. So he was like, I hear you. Now this is me playing this out. I hear you. I know that you're going through something really difficult. I know that you don't know what to do here, but guess what? Let's not forget about our God. He's that kind of guy. The kind of guy that could function so that when people really needed uh, a sounding board, really needed to express what was going on in their lives that was frustrating, Philemon was the guy that could take that. And he could help people sort that out. So Paul knows Philemon really well. And he sends Philemon this little postcard. 
And he ends up asking Philemon that he would uh, receive this guy named Onesimus, which we'll get to in a minute. And even more than that, in verse 22, hey, get the guest room ready because I'm coming to see you. So you notice we left out this guy Onesimus. See, Philemon had this worker named Onesimus. And it seems from the story that we read that Onesimus, as working for Philemon, decided that he was going to steal from him and run away. So Philemon presumably stole something, excuse me, Onesimus stole from Philemon and headed to Rome. Because that's what a lot of people do, even in our day and age. Something's going on and we want to get out of rural places and we're going to go to the city and we're going to hide. So Onesimus goes to the Roman Empire, he goes to Rome, excuse me, goes to Rome in which was a, roughly, according to what I read, about 870,000 people, which is about the same size as Charlotte proper in North Carolina. And he goes to Rome hoping that he can get away and hide. And it's there that he miraculously runs into the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul uh, presumably starts talking to him about Jesus. And Onesimus is fundamentally changed. He's changed. His life was never the same. That's why Paul mentions here in one of the verses that, oh, um, he, he, I became his father when he came to see me. He's talking spiritually. It's like this guy, had, this guy was born again. This guy had a new birth. This guy had this heart change, deep down change. And so Paul tells him, Onesimus, you got to go back to Philemon. And so Onesimus goes back to Philemon. See if you can picture this in your mind. More than likely, Onesimus is the one that delivers the postcard. So he shows up at Philemon's house, knock, knock, knock. And someone comes to the door, and guess what? It's Onesimus. And he hands Philemon and his family the card. And in the ancient world, when you got a letter like that, guess what? You read it out loud. So Onesimus would have gone into Philemon's house, remember, because it was Philemon, his wife, presumably his son, and the church that meets at his house. And Onesimus shows up with the card, hands it to Philemon, makes it into Philemon's hands, and Philemon would read these 25 verses in front of everyone with Onesimus right there. How about that? Could you imagine being Philemon in that moment? So, so let's make sure that we get the situation very clear in our minds. This is a situation where someone, let's say it negatively, this is not a situation in which someone has been wronged, they vanish, you see them out somewhere, and they act like nothing ever happened. It's not this situation. It's not that they vanished and you see them again and they begin to ask for forgiveness. No, not there. This is a situation where someone has wronged you, they vanish, they surprisingly show up, and in that moment, you find out that something dramatic has happened in their life. And now you got to think about this question. What are you going to do? Because you've been wronged. And that person vanished. And all of a sudden, they show up on my doorstep. And you learn that something profoundly has happened in their life. What are you going to do? Well, that's the story. 
So let's get to our takeaways. We got three of them. Here's the first one. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. What is the relationship between Onesimus and Philemon? What what does the Bible think about slavery? What does God think about slavery? Because that's what's being talked about here. What is this? Well, let's start here with this elephant in the room. Um, The Roman Empire in the first century in their view of slavery was not exactly the same as Southern slavery. So let's start there. Um, Our experience in our history, slavery was bound up with things that the Bible explicitly forbids, man-stealing. Did you know that? Bible explicitly forbids the stealing of people. In the South, slavery was predominantly by race, and the purpose was ownership. That's not the way it was predominantly in the first century. It's not the way it was predominantly in the Roman Empire. So just in the outset, if you're beginning to transpose what happened in the South onto the first century, onto the relation between Onesimus and Philemon, that's not the way to think about it. Slavery in the first century was, and in the Roman Empire was more like this. Roughly up to a third of the population in the Roman Empire were slaves. It wasn't based upon race. Matter of fact, People who were called slaves um, worked in the fields, they worked in the mines, some of them were managers, others had what we would call white-collar jobs. Those that they worked for weren't afraid that the slaves would go because predominantly speaking, the expectation was that those that were considered slaves could work off a debt if they had a debt. They were free to work other jobs if they wanted to anyway. There wasn't this sense of trying to own people or to treat them as less than human beings. So more than likely, the relationship between Onesimus and Philemon was this. Onesimus was probably at least a manager for Philemon. If you allow me to give a oversimplified, extremely rough analogy of what I'm talking about here would be this. I don't own my house. And according to first century kind of language and thought, I'm like a slave to my mortgage lender where I can pay it off. I can get out from under that. I am expected to work other jobs to make my payments. I can pay off early, on and on. That's what was going on here between Philemon and Onesimus. Now, that leads us to this. Um, The second takeaway is the appeal. So when Paul writes this little postcard and sends it to Philemon and Onesimus delivers it, um, Paul makes an appeal. How in the world does he want, how can... What does Paul use to motivate Philemon to think about Onesimus in a different way? Well, look at verse 8. He says, you know, Philemon, I could command you to do this, to receive Onesimus, but I'm not. I would rather, verse 9, 
appeal to you out of love. See that? Paul's saying, look, Philemon, take him back. I'm commanding you. But he doesn't. He says, I'm going to appeal to you out of love. I want you in love to receive Onesimus back. You know, the reason why Paul would make this appeal of love is because, remember our situation? God had done something profound in Onesimus' life. You get that? Paul appeals out of love because God had done something. Listen to verse 15 and 16 again. For this perhaps is why Onesimus was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Do you get that? Onesimus thought he could run and get away. He thought he could steal from you and never have to see you again. <laughs> God had other plans. Maybe God was working, Philemon, such that you would be with him forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, a beloved brother. He's saying Onesimus has changed. Onesimus has become a different person. He is a follower of Christ. He is one who has seen his life profoundly changed so that he's not living for himself anymore. He belongs to Jesus. You see, in these situations that we find ourselves in, we always, whether we could express it or it's just intuitively felt, we always have a plan of what should happen. Whether we could say it out loud or not. Onesimus had a plan. I'm gonna take this money and run. I'm going to take what I can and go somewhere else and get lost so no one can find me. Philemon had a plan. More than likely, this guy stole from him, and if he ever saw him again, he was allowed to punish Onesimus. It was legally allowable for Philemon to inflict punishment on Onesimus. And don't you think that would have been something of his plan? I'm going to exert my legal right here. It is lawful for me to hold this guy accountable who stole from me and who vanished and left me in a lurch. I got a business to run. He was helping me, and now he takes from me? Oh, just wait till I see him again. He's going to get it. And Paul is saying, Onesimus, Philemon, the entire audience, have you ever factored in that God has plans too? Have you ever factored into your life when these types of things happen that God was up to something? Even when you experienced something that was wrong? Even when you were wronged? Has it ever factored in that in the midst of you being wronged and in the midst of you thinking about and contemplating how you're going to inflict a proper punishment on someone, have you forgot to factor in that God maybe have a plan too? Maybe he's doing something that you didn't even expect as well? That's what Paul's appealing to. He's saying, Philemon, God has done something here. And you see what Paul is communicating. 
is that there's this amazing opportunity that he, Paul, wants to see what happens. And here's the opportunity. He wants to see Philemon's heart warmed with the gospel. Because in that moment when Onesimus shows up at Philemon's door and Philemon sees him for the first time in who knows how long, he's going to immediately think about what he has authorization from the state to do. And he reads this out loud and now he has to come to grips with, surprisingly, that God has done something. And Paul is saying, here's the opportunity for you, Philemon, for us. I want to see if your heart is going to grow warm with the gospel toward what God has done in this situation. I want to see the power of the gospel overpower your desire for revenge or bitterness or even doing what you think is legally right, that you have authorization to do. I want to see if the gospel is so compelling in your life that it begins to warm your own heart and change your mind about this particular situation. Have you ever had that happen in your life where you've been in that moment where you've been wronged, the person vanishes, they show up somewhere unexpectedly, you heard and are now immediately know from their own testimony that God's done something and you're in that moment where you get to think about, I know what I wanna do here, but I have to factor in what God's been doing here. You ever been in those moments before? You know, I've had some of those. When, uh, when our son Owen was really young, uh, we did what a lot of parents do. We put him in the nursery on Sunday. And uh, we found out after the service because uh, we knew Owen had some food allergies and whatnot, that he was having a pretty severe reaction. And that reaction was not diminishing. He wasn't just having hives around his mouth and wasn't just extending across his face, but his whole body was responding in a very dangerous way to peanuts. So we had loaded him down with Benadryl, and because he wasn't quite able to talk that much, um, he started to us seeming to get lethargic, you know? And as a parent, not being able to tell, is this the Benadryl, or is this reaction causing this? Because the reaction wasn't slowing down at all. Which led us to, not literally, but throw him in the car seat and put the car in drive and hammer down to the hospital. And we got to the hospital and uh, were immediately taken back. And by this point, I hardly recognized my son because he was so swollen and so red. And the doctor entered the threshold of our room and looked across the room at Owen, and I'm going to be completely honest with you here, looked across at my son from across the room and said, yeah, he's having a reaction, and he walked back out. I said, Doc, get your A-double snake over here and look at my son <laughs> right now because I thought I was going to lose my son. And he came over and was, he saw things up close that he couldn't see from across the room. 
And that led to doing some fairly dramatic measures to uh, try to preserve my son's life. Uh, found out after that that the person that was in the nursery told us that uh, another child had given my son um, what he shouldn't have had. And you can imagine that as parents, that was a little bit frustrating, you know? Well, months went by, and uh, this worker in the nursery called us and wanted to meet with us. And we met with her, and she was really, really emotional. And she couldn't stop apologizing. And she admitted to us that she had lied. And that it was another child who had given Owen the cookie. She did. And Jenny and I were so overwhelmed in that moment at her humility that we were having to recognize that God had not only worked in her life, but was working in ours too. That the same God that brought her to a recognition to admit that she had lied to us was the same God that was working in our hearts to bring us to a point where we wanted to forgive. That's the God that acted in Onesimus's life and Philemon's life. That was the moment that Paul was, create, was seeing was an opportunity for Philemon to think about what instinctively he would, but would he also factor in what God had done? And would that make any difference? Now, if you'll allow me to do just a quick sidebar, quickly, do you see how this very, this way that Paul handled this situation would ultimately be the undoing of this system that was broken and messed up? So if you ever wonder if uh, the part of the Roman Empire that was profoundly wrong in the way that it treated people, if you ever wonder how in the world could this ever be overthrown right here? through the purpose and the intentionality of forgiveness and not clinging to our own rights but seeing something much bigger is going on. Paul plants the seed to undo all the improper things of the institution. There's no way that the institution could continue in all of its broken forms with these, this kind of power, the power of God and the power of God changing people, enabling people to forgive at work in the world. Well, that leads us to takeaway number three, forgiveness. Look at what happens here. God tells us the components of forgiveness. The first one is in verse 17. Paul says to Philemon, receive Onesimus. In other words, He's at your doorstep. He's probably in your living room now. If you've made it this far in reading this postcard, he's right there. Receive him. That means every day you determine to receive him. Every day you welcome him. Every day you fight against grudges. Every day, Philemon, you work by God's grace to receive. And then he adds to that. It's not just receive him, but he goes on to say in that next phrase, receive him as you would me. 
So it's not just you receive him back now as this uh, person who is, um, you know, useful to you, but you receive him as you would me. You receive him as a follower of Jesus. You receive him as someone that you will be with forever. You receive him as someone that you can relate to in the way that you do me. That's for the gospel and for the kingdom and living out what it means to follow Jesus. So don't just receive, but regard him as a follower. And last, the final component of forgiveness is this. Put that on my tab. Look at verse 18 and 19. If Onesimus owes you anything, put it on my account. Beloved, this is one of the most challenging things of forgiveness. You don't just receive people, but you receive them as a follower. And whatever they have done against you, that's, in which they have wronged you, you are willing to absorb the cost of that wrong. If you have never had to absorb the cost of being wrong, then you probably haven't ever forgiven anyone. And the cost of absorbing the wrong that someone has done to you is not easy, is it? To say, you've done this against me, put that on my account. I'll pay for that. I'll absorb that. I'm willing. I am willing to absorb the consequences of the wrong that you have done to me. I'm willing to absorb it. I'm willing to work through it. I'm willing on a daily basis to say, put that on my account. I'm willing to do it. Does that sound familiar to you at all? Does that remind you of anyone? You ever heard of a man named Jesus? You realize what he was saying on the cross? Put that on my account. How many times has Jesus said to Dave this past week, I'll pay for that? How many times has Jesus said to you this week, put that on my account? How many times has Jesus, for his people, to all those who would believe, how many times has he said, I'll pay for that? How many times? Beloved, that's the message of the cross, is that Jesus was willing to absorb the cost of all of our sin, of all of our rebellion. He was willing to say, I'll pay for that. Put it on my tab. The only reason that Philemon would be able to receive Onesimus and forgive him is because he knew that Jesus had forgiven him of so much more. The only reason why Paul would say to Philemon, Philemon, hey, hey man, whatever Onesimus owes you, Put that on my account. I'll pay for it. The only reason why Paul could say that, it had nothing to do with power. It had nothing to do with authority. It had everything to do with Paul knew that that's what Jesus had done for him. 
It's the only reason. Everything else is just manipulative, self-serving mess. This is Paul living out the gospel. He knew that Jesus had told him countless times, Paul, I'll pay for that. I've paid for that. Put that on my account. It's the only reason how th- why this could work. The only reason why Onesimus would have any courage at all to go back to Philemon's house and show up with his postcard from Paul is because he believed in the power of God. And he'd experienced it in his own life. And he certainly saw it in Philemon's life. He definitely saw it in Paul's life. And Onesimus could go back and he could carry the postcard and wait to see what Philemon would do because he knew the power of God. It's the only way that this can work is for us to experience the forgiveness of God. It's for us to recognize how much God has forgiven me, you, so that we could then in turn look at the situations that we are in and say, yes, I'm willing to receive. I'm willing to live as if you're a follower. I'm willing to absorb the cost of what you have done and how you've wronged me.